quick. Luke chapter 14, I know it's uh, uh, a little bit late, and uh, here's what we'll do. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm Puerto Rican, I can talk fast, can you listen fast? That's the question. All right, uh, Luke chapter 14, uh, we're going to start reading in verse number 1. Luke 14, and uh, start in verse number 1. Luke chapter 14, the Lord's got a great message here uh, for His disciples that are listening and to those uh, that would receive it, uh, talking to some uh, Pharisees as well. And I think the principle that if, if you can listen quick, I'll go through quick, but if you can get this, it'll help you not just in ministry, but in life. It'll help your marriage. It'll help you in your home. It'll help you at work. It'll help you in every area of life uh, because by nature, by nature, it goes against what is normal and natural for us. Uh, so look at Luke 14. Look, if you would, at verse 1. Came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day that they watched him. Uh, there are people that watch Jesus and not always for the right reasons, right? And so these Pharisees are kind of watching him, trying to see if he's going to make a mistake. Behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. That means he was sick. And Jesus answering, spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace. In other words, they didn't want to say anything. And he took him and healed him and let him go. And answered them, saying, By the way, when the Lord heals you, you know what he does? He lets you go. And you can make one or two decisions in your life. You can follow him or not. And so he does that with this man. And and notice in verse 5, And answered them, saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him again to these things. I love it when the Lord leaves people speechless. Verse 7, He put forth the parable of those which were bidden when he marked how they chose out the chief rooms, saying to them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding... Uh, this is something, Joe, you should take note of since you are always at weddings, all right? Uh, when you are bidden to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him come and say to thee, give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the what? He's saying, hey, don't, don't start off here because the Lord may want you here. And, and by human nature, we don't want to go from here to hear. Is this making sense? But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Brother Joe, if you would open us up in a word of prayer, sir. Yeah. Amen. Be seated if you would. Notice in verse 5, 
I only see some in verse 5. The Lord is kind of rebuking them, kind of challenging them a little bit. Uh, and, and what you see this entire chapter is kind of a, a challenge on value system. Uh, if you look at verse 5, he goes, hey, how many of you guys, because they're, they're upset with him for healing a man on the Sabbath day. And they're, they're basically looking at him saying, you're breaking the law. And the Lord goes, hey, you guys are all about the letter of the law, but you miss the spirit of the law. Here's a sick man that I can make whole. And even if it's on the Sabbath, I'm going to do that. And, this, and the Lord looks at them and goes, you guys would not uh, leave your, your ox. You wouldn't leave your donkey in a ditch. So why are you getting upset with me about healing men? You say, what is that? That's a challenge on value system. Uh, look down at verse number 18. Go to verse 18. Just, just glance at it. Verse 18, 19, 20. You say, what is it? Uh, it's a challenge on value system. The Lord says, hey, these guys were invited uh, to the wedding. And it's an invitation directly from the Lord himself. And one guy goes, hey, I bought a yoke of oxen. I got to test it out. I got to prove it. You say, what's that like? It's like buying a car and never test driving it. And this guy goes, well, this is legit. I've got, you say, what's the problem? Value system. Uh, he goes to another guy. He goes, well, I, I bought some land. I got to go check it out. You're telling me you bought land and didn't check it out, and that's your excuse for not taking the Lord up on his invitation? The last guy doesn't even go. The last guy puts his head down, uh, looks at his toes, and he goes, well, I got married, and she ain't all about it. And she said, I can't come. That's pretty much what he says. You say, it's not what it says. Well, it's kind of what it says. You got to read between the lines. In the originals, it says, I'm whooped. All right, something like that. So you say, what's going on? There's a value system conflict. All right, there, there, listen, if, if, I were to, if I were to tell you, brother, uh, Jose goes to Mexico, visits his family next year, or goes on that mission trip we're talking about, and he comes back, and he goes to Walmart, and he tries to use Mexican pesos at Walmart, they're going to tell him, that doesn't work here. The value system is, is not the same. In other words, the things that we value at times aren't the things that God values, and the things that God values aren't the things that we always value. Just making sense? And so we look at all these things in the Christian life. The way up is the way down. And the way down is the way up. And you want to be exalted? Humble yourself. Now, how about this? When you're empty, you're full. <laughs> And when you're full with yourself in your life, you're empty of God. There's all these paradoxes in there. How about this one? Uh, the first is last. I remember teaching my, bro my, my sons when they, they first moved in. I'd say, okay, guys, time to brush teeth. And they'd race, and they'd push each other out of the way. And I taught them, I said, guys, the first is last. And so you know what they did? They started going. And then one time, you know, Preston ran in, and Ethan came behind him, and, and oh, it was the other way around. Was, yeah, that's right. Ethan ran ahead, and uh, Preston was behind him, just smiling like this. And we got there, I said, oh, Ethan got here first. He's like, that's because he's actually last, Dad. <laughs> you say, what is that? That's getting hold of God's value system. How, how about this one? Whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. That doesn't make sense humanly. You know what makes sense humanly? I'm first, I want what I want, notice me, I'm important, I matter, and putting yourself where? In the front seat. Uh, we're about uh, getting ready to go on a road trip, and the back seat's fun for a little bit, but eventually you want to stretch your legs, you know what everybody starts doing? The kids, where's Emma at? Wherever she's at, uh, her and her brother, you know what they'll do? Who wants, who's going to sit in the front seat? Once they get old enough to sit in the front seat, you know what they argue about? Who gets to sit up front? And everyone calls what? Shotgun. And you know what that is? That's my way of claiming my stake on the front seat. But can I say this? Sometimes God wants you in the back seat. Uh, how about this? 
John 13, the Lord goes, you say, what is it? It's the Last Supper, and from chapter 13 to 17, it's one, or 18, it's one long event, and uh, a lot of that conversation is the Lord talking about the Holy Spirit, and the Lord talking to the Father about his disciples, and to the disciples about the Father, and it's just one long event. In chapter 13, you know what happens? He, the Bible says, after supper being ended, and Satan entered into the heart of Judas, after supper being ended, Satan enters into Judas, you know what I would think the most important thing to do at that moment is? To call Judas out. If I'm leading, and I know there's someone here who's going to betray me and have me thrown, uh, 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 arrested and betrayed and eventually crucified, and that guy sitting at the table, do you know what priority number one is for Adrian? Get that guy. And you know what the Lord does? Knowing that that guy's going to do that, he doesn't even give it a second thought. He pushes away from the table. He girds himself with a towel. He gets a bowl of water and gets down at the feet of the disciples and starts talking to them and ignores the whole entire thing with Judas. He goes, you go do your thing and I'm going to do mine. You want to take the front seat? I'll take the back seat. How about that? You know what we do humanly? It's my seat. I deserve it. I'm going to address it. I'm going to take it. I, you say, what's that? I, I, I. It kind of sounds like what got the devil into trouble originally. Right. Wasn't it not a throne? Was it not a seat that he wanted that God did not put him in? Once you say, man, you've got it good enough, you cover the throne. You lead the choir. That's what Lucifer did, according to Isaiah and Ezekiel. And yet, it wasn't enough. He wanted more. He wanted the front seat. How about this? We, we're, we're trying to raise money, you know, for a building and all that. If, uh, I don't know, where's Addie at? If Addie, is she here somewhere? Addie, right there. Oh, downstairs. Oh, God bless him. Well, if Addie, with her little dimples, you know, came up here, you know, and, and as the plate goes by, she throws in two pennies, right? You know, and then somebody else walks in and they grab a check, you know, one of those big cardboard ones, you know. You know, like, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, and they write, you know, two, zero, zero, comma, zero, zero, zero. You know, and they're, it's, it's a big, you know, show. And like, look what a, we're going to be presenting this to new high school. Yeah! And I get up and I say, Addie gave more than that guy. You know what you would say? Pastor, I don't think you know math. You know what the Lord does? He watches that very thing, and he watches a, a, an old widow woman put in two mites. And, and look, if you're, if you're thinking what, that what I'm trying to get at is that, that you, know, you can be cheap with God, that's not the point. The point is this. She did what she could. And in God's economy, her doing what she could was worth more than the big pop and circumstance and show uh, of someone bringing all this money. You say, what is that? It's a different value system. A guy comes to God one day and the Lord Jesus Christ and says to the Lord, uh, hey Lord, uh, I, 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 I want to follow you and I'm going to follow you, but, but, but first I got to go bury my dad. He just died. <laughs> I, I, I know I've said this. I can't imagine a, a church member coming to me and going, Pastor, my dad just died. I, I'm not going to make it on Sunday because my dad died. I'm going to be at the funeral. I, I would not look at him and say, let the dead bury the dead. The Lord did. You say, what is that? Value system's different. <laughs> God looks at things. Look at John chapter 14. Can I show you some things about the work of the Holy Spirit? Look at John chapter 14. John chapter 14. I know you may go, where is this going? Just bear with me. We're going to land this thing. We're going to make sense of it. John chapter 14. 
And, and John 14 and 15 and 16 and, and 17 is this one long event. And several times what the Lord talks about is I'm going to, another one of the paradoxes is this, I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you. <laughs> he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But he also says to the disciples, I've got to leave. But if I leave, I will send a comforter in my name. Uh, look at John 14. Look if you would at verse number uh, 16. John 14 Verse 16, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. They may abide with you for how long? Aren't you glad for that? <laughs> Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, if you're not saved, uh, you will not understand the Bible. It does, it will not make sense. Why? Because the author of the book is not yet living inside of you. <laughs> But man, when you're saved and you start pouring over the pages of this book, it, like, it comes to life. Why? Because now he resides inside of you. Look what it says uh, here in verse number uh, 17. Because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Aren't you glad that that shall is not in the past now for us? He's inside of us now. We're not waiting for that, thank God. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Who's he talking about? The Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is speaking about who? The Holy Spirit. Look, if you would, at verse number 26. Verse 26. But the comforter, which is who? Yeah, whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance. Whatsoever I've said, on you look at chapter 15. I'm, uh, we're going somewhere with this. Chapter 15, look at verse 23. Chapter 15, verse 23. He that hateth me hateth my Father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this come of the past, that the word might be fulfilled. It's written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Can I give you some help, Christian? If people don't like you because you're trying to follow Christ, you're in good company. Uh, look at verse 26. But, but. When the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of who? So the Holy Spirit shows up for one thing, to point people to Jesus Christ. Uh, look, look, if you would, bear with me, look at chapter 16, verse number 7. Chapter 16, verse number 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you, and when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Look down, if you would, at verse uh, number 13. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you in all truth, for he shall not speak of who? You know what the Holy Spirit does? He takes the back seat. Now listen to me for just a moment. He's still God, but I want you to understand what I'm getting at. Question, it's not a deep doctrinal question, but the first reference to someone moving in the Bible, is it the Holy Spirit or is it the Son of God? Genesis chapter 1. Who is it? So the Holy Spirit's there first, and yet when Jesus comes, he goes, I'm okay with taking the back seat. If God can do that with himself, I think we need to learn to do it ourselves. The Holy Spirit regenerates you, he baptizes you, he revives you, he seals you, he fills you, he gives you new life, he enlightens you, he intercedes with the Father. There are times you get down and pray and say, God, I really need this. You know, a single girl gets down, God, give me this man. And the Lord's like, Holy Spirit goes, Lord, that's not what she meant. That, that, that guy's not a good guy. Uh, let's pray for someone else. Amen, amen, amen. The Holy Spirit will intercede with groanings which cannot be uttered. Thank God for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, not just at salvation, but until the moment that he takes us off this planet. Thank God he's in us and doing stuff the entire time. As important as the Spirit of God is, 
And even though he shows up first in Genesis 1 in Scripture, he learns to take a back seat. Can I, can I, can I give you a, a, just a, a simple thought? Look at Romans chapter 1. I'm going to run through Paul's writings here. Uh, let me ask you a question. Who do you think the greatest Christian is that ever lived? Besides Jesus, because he himself can't be a Christian because he, he doesn't follow himself. Paul? Paul? Is that fair? Can we go with Paul? Yeah. All right. And, and then after that, you know, maybe your favorite preacher on YouTube, okay? So, so, so let's just start with Paul, and let's just say that Paul is, is maybe the greatest Christian ever lived. Uh, let me ask you this. If someone writes half of the New Testament, they're kind of a big deal, would you not say? 13 out of 27 books, I think it's a big deal. I would say this, the guy that delivers all the mysteries, the mystery of godliness and God manifests in the flesh and, and the doctrine of justification, the doctrine of sanctification, the doctrine of, and the list goes on, propitiation and all these things. I would say that guy is kind of a big deal. <laughs> Look at Romans chapter one. What's the first word in that chapter? All right, go to 1 Corinthians chapter one. I'm going to take a little trip to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look if you would at verse number 1. What's the first word? All right. Now, I'm not, the, the moral of the story is not Paul is an egotist. And everywhere you go, you see Paul because Paul did, God put Paul in that role. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse number 1. Paul did not have to invite himself to places to get known. God orchestrated putting Paul, if you will listen to me, in the front seat of the church. Paul didn't put himself there, but he is there. Now look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Just keep going to the right. Go one more book. Galatians chapter 1. Look, if you would, at verse 1. And guess what, guys? This goes on and on. Look at uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, watch this, not of men. In other words, I didn't put myself here. God did this. I didn't put myself in the front seat. God put me there. So, so I want you to get that. And he says this in Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians opens the same way. And Philippians opens the same way. By the way, in Philippians, Timothy gets a little bit of a nod. He goes, Paul and Timothy are brother. Uh, but, but then 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 1 Timothy 1, 2 Timothy 1, Titus and Philemon all start with the first word being Paul. And you say, well, it makes sense. He's the one writing the letter. Yes, and my point is this. He's an important part of church history. Without Paul, there are things you would never know about New Testament salvation. Aren't you glad that once you're saved, you never lose your salvation? Yeah. Man, aren't you glad that he which hath begun a good work with me will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ? For I'm persuaded neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. You would not have that in your Bible without Paul. So I'd say he's kind of an important guy. If I, if I sit up here and said, now there's a little sign right there that says, you are now entering the mission field on, on the back, uh, when you go out the door of the, uh, the entrance of the church. And uh, if I were to say today, hey guys... I want you guys to go out there and preach my gospel. Why are you laughing? You know why you're laughing? Because it's weird. Can I read something to you? You know who wrote this, Paul? Now, to him that is, power, to him that is up power to establish you according to my gospel. I'm just trying to point out, Paul, God kind of put him in a very important position. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Who wrote that? Paul. 
Great is the mystery of godliness. Who wrote that? Romans 8, the greatest insurance policy on the planet. Who wrote that? <laughs> Go to Acts chapter 4 with me. Acts chapter 4. See, that's the side of the story that you know. I want to present another side of the story. Look at Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Acts 4, look at you at verse number 31. Acts 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, and where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with what? And they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed, were, uh, that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Look down, if you would, at verse 35. And, and after they sold their land and their houses, they brought the, that, that, that gift, they brought that, that blessing, if you will, to the apostles' feet. Can you imagine, rather than Brother Craig uh, passing the plate around uh, here on Sunday, what we do is we have someone stand here and someone brings an offering to their feet. That would be weird. And this is kind of what's going on in the early church. You go, well, that's part of Jewish custom and part of the, that, that part of the world and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but our minds kind of have a hard time with that. You say, who's behind this? Who does this? Who lays their gift to the apostles' feet? Look at verse 36. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed what? Which is being interpreted the son of consolation, the Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, you say, who's this guy? I thought we were talking about Paul. We are talking about Paul. But I want you to see something. Barnabas was there before Paul. You know when Paul gets saved? He gets saved in Acts chapter 9. He, he shows up in Acts 7. You know what Paul shows up in Acts 7 for? In Acts 7, Paul wasn't yet Paul. He was still Saul. I'm thankful for these young people getting up and saying, I'm a new creature in Christ. <laughs> I'm not who I used to be. That's my old identity. I don't identify with that anymore. I don't want to go there anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to be around anymore. Why? Because that's not me. (laughs) See, part of the problem is this. Christians have this idea, if I just do the right thing. I'll say it like this. Washing nets is something that you do. It's part of your job. It's part of your life. But it's not who you are. Washing feet is who you are. What I'm trying to get at is this Paul, before he was Paul, he was Saul. He was lost. He was on his way to hell. He was uh, wreaking havoc of the church. He had people killed, men, women, and children separated, thrown into jail. That was Paul before he was saved. He was a nobody. No one even knew he was around except for to say, he's our enemy. Can I show you that if you want to take a back seat, you have to learn to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Look at verse 31. You know what I got here? I got a full bottle of water, right? If I said, hey, Fabian, can you pour something in here? Is there any room in there to pour anything into? No. <laughs> so you know what Fabian would say? I'm not pouring anything in. There's no room. Do you know why some Christians aren't filled with the Holy Spirit? Because you're filled with you. And you go, God, give it to me. Lord, fill me. Uh, you know, and, and you do you all week long. And then you come to church and expect the guy up here to go, you know, toe three in a row. God bless you. And now you're good. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> if you want to learn to take a back seat in your life and let God put you where you need to be, and this is important in every area of your life, you need to learn to be first, be filled with the Spirit of God. You can't be who God wants. You'll never know who you really are in Christ until that comes. Amen. And you say, well, I just, I just get filled at summer camp, and then I'm good. No, no, no. I'm talking every single day. 
Moment by moment, you are deciding how much of you you're pouring out and how much of him you're taking in. He was filled with the Spirit of God. That's how Stephen uh, goes, and, and he's stoned by those around him, and he's able to look up, and he forgives those that stoned him. Why? He was full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, uh, becomes a man and lives a sinless life, and at 30 years of age, he's tempted by the devil in the wilderness. How does he make it through that? You go, oh, because he's God. Let me tell you something. He's God, but he's God in the He had every opportunity to sin. <laughs> You know what makes him so special? You know why Jesus is who we think of him as? Because the Bible says in Luke 4, before he goes into that temptation, he's filled with the Spirit of God. And all through the New Testament, we read about different characters who are filled with the Spirit of God, and God uses them and blesses them, and sometimes, in spite of who they are. You know who Barnabas is? He's really a nobody in the church. But he's filled with the Spirit of God. Can I say this? Look if you would at verse number 32. The multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. You know, I think Barnabas uh, learned some things. You're going to see this in just a moment. Uh, early on in his Christian life, you know what he learned? That, that if I'm, I'm going to have the character of someone that takes the back seat. And by the way, God cares more about your character because your character is who God knows that you actually are. Your reputation is who people think you are. Don't ever, Christians spend so much of your time worried about their reputation and not worried about their character. You know, God's looking at this guy, Barnabas, going, man, this guy's got some. He's, he's willing to submit himself to the Spirit of God. He's filled with the Spirit of God. And, and this guy has the opportunity to make a name for himself, and yet he doesn't do that. He cares more about unity in the church than his own agenda. Notice this in verse 32. One heart, one soul, all things common. You say, what is that? That's the Spirit of Barnabas. See, why does it matter? You're going to find out here in just a moment, but can I, can I point out in verse 34, you know what Barnabas does? He brings his offering. And he lays it at the apostles' feet. And, and, and notice in chapter 5, I'm not going to read it all, but in chapter 5, you know what happens? A couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they, they, they go, oh, is that how you get known in the church? You bring an offering? We'll do the same thing. You know what I, I know about people that learn to take the back seat? They care more about substance than they do show. Right. Barnabas does it because it's right. Ananias and Sapphira do it because they want to show. Let's go back a couple thousand years to uh, uh, the first king of Israel. And the first king of Israel blows it a couple times, and God's gracious, and he gives him a couple opportunities, and he just does not want to listen. He does not want to listen to the Spirit of God in his life. So here's what happens. Uh, he's, uh, he's told by the prophet Samuel, God is going to rend your kingdom and give it to somebody else. So you know what he says? He, uh, he says, hey, piano player, can you play? Brother Joe, can you come up here and play just as I am? I want to get in the right spirit. I want to repent at the altar. He doesn't do that. You know what he says? He says to the prophet, can, can we just at least worship together so the people think that you and I are on the same page? What does he care about? Show. Not substance. You know one of the dangers of, of being, uh, as Brother Joe mentioned, being in church for a while? You learn how to put on a show. Coming to church after having yelled at your kids and your wife the whole way. How you doing? Great, brother. Great. Man, so good. God is so good. Oh, he's so good, right? You know, a couple minutes before, I was, you know, I wasn't even looking. I was just whacking. <laughs> Knowing I'm going to land somewhere, right? And my wife asked me, you know, you know are you, did you bring the Bibles? Of course I brought the Bibles. You know, what is your problem? Open the door. Hey. <laughs> he said, what is that? Caring more about sub- uh, show than substance. You know what that is? I want to be in the front seat. I want people to know everything's okay. I want to make sure I put out the right reputation. I want to be known for X, Y, and Z. And God's going, I can't use that. 
You know, I think Barnabas really, in his character, you know why Barnabas, we're going to find out in a second, Barnabas, who is pivotal in the early church, he kind of becomes one of the main characters. He has to take a back seat. Let me show you something. Look if you would at Acts chapter number 9. Acts chapter number 9. Acts chapter 9. Uh, look, if you would, at uh, verse number 26. See what happens. We're, we're passing a lot of history here. <laughs> I'm just giving you the highlights. Saul gets saved, and eventually we know him as Paul, the apostle. And, but, but let's just say, like, for sake of argument, okay? Uh, let's say, uh, you know, back, you know, when uh, 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 everything was going on in, in, the, in the Afghan war and all that. Let's say that Osama bin Laden comes to New Heights Baptist Church. And he says, I just received Jesus as Savior. And every mommy goes, come this way, children. Oh, no, we wouldn't do that, would we? Well, sure you would. If you knew that there was someone that was responsible for a bunch of people dying and they were an extremist or whatever else, you'd hide your kids, you'd hide your spouse, you'd just say, man, let's let's just get away from this guy. You say, who is Paul before he's saved? He's that guy. (laughs) Then on the road to Damascus, the light comes on. He realizes he's fighting God. He submits to God's spirit. He gets saved. And now he's like, guys, let me in the church. And you know, it's kind of like, you ever have those kids that gets picked last for a sport game? You know, and, and you know, some of you are like, yeah, that was me. You know, and, and so, you know, me in basketball now, I'm like, guys, let me in. They're like, you got a bum leg. No, thanks. You know, you, you know who Paul is? Paul is that guy. Guys, let me in. I promise I'm different. Look what it says in verse 26. He is saved to join himself with the disciples, but they were all what? You know what fear is? Fear is the byproduct of walking in the flesh. You know why nobody else in the room could pick up on the fact that this guy was genuine? Because they were walking the flesh, and Barnabas is the guy that's filled with the Spirit of God. Notice in verse number 27, look at that word, but. I'm thankful for some Barnabases in my life. Billy Haas was a Barnabas in my life. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and he had uh, preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was co- with them coming in and going out of Jerusalem. He said, what is going on? Barnabas is the one that brings Paul in on this. Listen to me very carefully. Without Barnabas, there's no Paul. Without Paul, there's no half of your New Testament. Can I, can I show you something? Look, if you would, at Acts chapter number 11. Acts chapter 11. So Paul does this once, but then they send Paul away because they're like, okay, this guy's trouble. Everywhere he goes, there's a fight. So they send him back home, literally. They're like, okay, you go to Tarsus and go talk about Jesus over there. I'm serious. And, and, and so, so uh, uh, Barnabas, being from the church of Jerusalem, which was the epicenter of Christianity before it moves to Antioch, he's told about these Gentiles getting saved in Antioch and what God is doing there. And so the church of Jerusalem, of all the people they could have sent out of thousands, literally, they send one man, his name's Barnabas. And Barnabas goes, and the Bible says when he had seen the grace of God, he's excited about what God is doing uh, among the Gentiles in Antioch. Can I show you something? Look, if you would, at verse number uh, 24, for he was a good man, Barnabas, and full of the what? Look at verse 25. What does he do? He leaves the, act, the action there when all the good stuff's going on, and he goes to get one man. He goes, man, Paul needs to be here. 
And if the people in Jerusalem know, they'd be like, you know, Paul's probably okay in Tarsus. Barnabas goes and he gets Paul. And he brings Paul back. Look, if you would, at verse 29 and verse 30. You say, what happens? Well, Paul comes and the Bible says that for verse 36, I'm sorry, for a year they assemble together. And look at that. The first time people are called Christians in verse 26, you know who's a part of that? Barnabas and Saul. Matter of fact, I want to show you something. Look, if you would, at verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 30. Can, can I show you something about the order here? Who's in the front seat? Who's the first one mentioned in verse 30? Barnabas and Saul. Uh, look, if you would, at chapter 12, verse number 25. And what two people? What order? Barnabas and Saul. Look at chapter 13. Look, if you would, at verse number 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me. This is God speaking. Separate me. What two people? And notice the order. It does matter. I'll show you why. Look at verse 7. Uh, they go on their first missionary trip, and, and they go to, uh, they're called to present the gospel to this deputy. And look what it says in verse number 7. Uh, he called for what two people? Barnabas and Saul, and desired to hear the word of God. Uh, what am I getting at? What I'm getting at is this. Barnabas is mentioned first, and he's mentioned first for a reason. Do you guys remember when Moses is called of God, and he's on the backside of the desert, and he walks by, and he sees a bush on fire? Remember that story? And the, sp- the bush speaks to him. It's God's presence. He says, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. And God goes, Moses, you're the man for the job. What does Moses do? Uh, Lord, uh, slow speech, uh, hard speech, slow tongue. Can't do it. It's not me. It's not my nature. I'm better off in the wilderness, living my own life by myself, doing my own thing. I don't want to get involved in ministry. So you know what the Lord does? He goes, okay, I'll bring you Aaron. And for about five chapters, Aaron's the one doing all the talking. And then one day, something stirs up inside of Moses. And he's like, I can't take this anymore. You know your problem is, Pharaoh? And for the rest of the book of Exodus. All of a sudden, his speech impediment is gone. All that anxiety about that problem. He doesn't care. He's like, la, 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 la. And now, guess what Aaron has to do? Do you think maybe part of the problem with building that, that false god and that false idol when Moses was gone what was simply this. Aaron looks at him and goes, buddy, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't have even had an audience with Pharaoh. You couldn't even open your mouth. If it wasn't for me, can I say Barnabas could have said the same thing? Twice, Paul, I brought you in on this. Nobody else wanted you around. And now all of a sudden, you're the one in the front seat. You don't believe me? Look at chapter 13 of the book of Acts. And look, if you would, at verse number 16. You know, what, you know what's happened this whole time? It's all been about Barnabas leading Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas brings Saul along. Look at chapter 13, verse 16. Then Paul stood up and beckoned with his hand, and he said, and Paul doesn't shut up for the rest of the book of Acts. And you know what it becomes about? If you don't believe me, look at chapter 13, verse 43. Now, when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed who? Huh. That's weird. Look at verse 46. Then who? <laughs> Look at chapter 13, verse number 50. And, but the Jews served the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against who? Paul. Now it's switched. You say, what is that? Is that an accident? Not at all. God did that for a reason. <laughs> 
There's an argument that takes place within the church. There are people that come in and say, okay, you get saved by faith, but you keep it by the works of the law and by following Moses. So it's this faith and works system, which is what most religions are today. And Paul sets the record straight. And you know who's called in? Paul and Barnabas are called in in chapter 15 to to end the dissension within the church. So they go from Antioch, they go to Jerusalem, they get letters from the people in Jerusalem saying, hey guys, we've got these letters to put this dissension and strife within the church to rest once and for all. Who did they call when they wanted to put dissension and strife to rest? Paul and Barnabas. You know what's interesting about that? Look at the end of the chapter. Look at Acts 15, verse number 36. We're just about done. Bear with me. Acts 15, verse 36. And some days after, what two people? The order is important. Said, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with him John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take with him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to work. Let me help you out. John Mark is Barnabas' nephew. So let me tell you what I think happens here. Barnabas goes, Paul, are you kidding me? The guy flaked on us one time. It's not like he killed somebody. I know someone that did, Paul. It's not like he had people thrown in jail, Paul. Can we not let this one go and bring him along? So Barnabas is brokenhearted and frustrated because Barnabas looks at at Paul and he goes, man, dude, if it wasn't for me bringing you in and and looking over the mistakes of your past, you wouldn't even be here right now. And then Paul looks at Barnabas and goes, you're choosing family over God. And so guess what happens? Boom. You know, people say age-long discussion over theology. Who's right, Gideon? Is it Paul or is it Barnabas? He's like, aloha, bro. It's all good. (laughs) Island, man. You know, you know what some people say? Uh, some people go, Paul, Paul was right, Barnabas was wrong. You know what I think the answer is? Yes. Paul was right, and he was wrong. Barnabas was right, and he was wrong. And you can have that in relationships. I believe they, they both had a point. I mean, the Bible says confidence in an unfaithful man is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Let me tell you something. This doesn't work like it used to. Why? It's not operating. Something's not right there. God says when you put your confidence in an unfaithful man, it's like trying to step on a foot that ain't working. So Paul had a point. And Barnabas had a point. But they split up. You know whose death is recorded for us? Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. I can tell you whose death is not recorded, Barnabas. Now, right now, you might go, well, God's done with Barnabas. It's all about Paul, the rest of the book of Acts. I mean, he records Paul's end. He doesn't record Barnabas's end. You're right. He doesn't. So it looks like God puts Paul in the front seat, and Barnabas is kind of just, you know, like some Christians, you know, <laughs> You get saved, come to church, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like you can't find him with the FBI, right? And Barnabas is gone. But God's done with Barnabas. Second Timothy chapter 4, end of Paul's life, we're wrapping this up. And this is Paul's swan song to young Timothy. And he says in verse 2, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine for the time will come. We are there, ladies and gentlemen. 
when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heat to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears. You know what kids do when they don't want to listen? Amongst themselves, especially. You know, Christians are doing it in the last days when a preacher gets up and says, let's say, Lord, let me just find a preacher. On, by the way, let me just get this off my chest. Nothing wrong with listening to preaching online, but that preacher that's preaching that message to that congregation online may not be the message for you. You're not a part of that church. God puts you in the seat that you're in and brace it. So rather than going shopping for what you want to listen to, maybe sit down, listen to the Spirit of God, open up that book and say, God, would you fill my preacher with the Spirit of God to give me what I need today? Amen. That was free. It wasn't even in the notes. Look, if you would, at verse number five, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists. He prepares Timothy for, you know what? He says, hey, man, I'm out of here pretty soon. And he goes on to say, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. And there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me, not for me only, but unto them also love is appearing. But can I show you in verse 10, he starts going through some names. He mentions that Demas forsook him. He mentions other people that left him. But look, if you would, at verse 11. Only Luke is with me. I want you to carefully read the next sentence. At the end of Paul's life, who's he asking for? You mean the guy you didn't want around? I wonder if at the end of Paul's life, I'm just speculating, I don't know, I can't prove it. I wonder if he pulls his phone out. He goes, man, man, it'd be great to give old Barnabas a... Oh, that's right, he's gone. I, I think there's a lot of credence historically that would prove that more than likely Barnabas is already dead, he's older. When Paul goes, man, I miss those days. He was in the front seat he gladly took the back seat, never argued with me about it one time till that issue with Mark. I wonder if he goes to, and he realizes, well, I can't talk to him, so let me, let me talk to the next best thing. There's the second book in your New Testament. Do you know what it's called? New Testament. Hey, that's all right. Exodus is in there somewhere. Second book of the New Testament. You know what it is? Mark. You know who it's named after? This guy, who Paul didn't want around at one time. Can I, can I tell you what's going on for years? Barnabas took this young man under his wing, silently, no notoriety, no mention in the church, no mention in the writings. He just had this guy under his wing doing what God told him to do. What's he doing? Taking the back seat. And I just... You wouldn't have half your New Testament and you wouldn't have the gospel of Mark if it wasn't for this guy. Who gets all the notoriety? Paul. Who helped make Paul who he was? You see, there's a reward for taking the back seat. You're not going to get it here. You're going to get it up there. And let me say this. Whether it's in your marriage, in ministry, at the job. I deserve, can you believe my boss? You mean for the first time in your life you're being yelled at because you didn't do your job? Amen. Sorry that your boss is doing what your parents didn't do for you. But, but let me just help you out a little bit. Maybe just shut your mouth and say, Lord, I'll take the back seat on this one. 
Someone's talking bad about you, saying things that aren't true, and you want to retaliate and go, I'm going to set them straight. I'm going to prove them right. I'm going to make sure. You know what David does when he's confronted? You're right. Absalom, his son, steals the kingdom, and David could have had him squashed. He's a mighty man of war. You know what he does? Lord, if you're working here, I'll let you work. You know what Saul does? He has innocent lives killed to prove he's right. See, what is that? It's a picture of the old man versus the new man. The old man wants front seat. If you're lost without Jesus Christ, you know what you have a hard time with? Admitting that you're a sinner in need of a savior. Now, I'm not that broken. I never killed nobody. I I love it when I talk to someone about the gospel. Well, I've never killed anybody. Thank you for not being a murderer. I never killed anybody. I never stole anything. Let me tell you something right now. Your sin put Jesus Christ on a cross. And and let me just tell you this. In the eyes of God, you know what you are? You are broken. The Bible says without hope and without God. And you can try to force yourself with religion into the front seat of the car. But I'm going to tell you right now, the best place to be is right back there. You can't drive your car to salvation. Jesus Christ did that for you. And if you try to force yourself into that position, let me tell you right now, you'll go to a place called hell and you'll never get out. I have no joy in telling you that, but it is the absolute infallible truth from the word of God. You know what the call is today? Take the back seat. Let's all stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, it's been a long day. Lord, I pray you'd help us to hold our attention for just a, a few minutes longer. And God, I pray that you'd work. Your Holy Spirit would fill your people, that they would understand the need, Lord, the Lord, to get out of the way. Lord, to let you work. To not be in such a hurry to prove that we're right or prove that we know what we're doing or force ourselves into a situation or into a relationship or anything else. God, help us to take the back seat. Lord, help us to be more like Barnabas. Help us to be more like the Holy Spirit of God intends us to be in our lives. To not make it about us, but to make it about Jesus. Christian, with every head bowed and every eye closed, the decisions you're making right now, the places you're going, what you're doing with your life, who's in the front seat? Who's driving? There is such peace, such liberty in allowing God to drive (laughs) and just enjoy the ride. I remember when I was 15, 16 years old, couldn't wait to drive. I love it when my daughters offer to drive me around somewhere. I'll take it. Sometimes it's good to just sit back. Let God be God. I don't know what situation you're facing, but I'll tell you this, there's great reward in taking the back seat. every head bowed and every eye closed, I'll ask this question. won't make the altar call too long. If you're here and you've never been born again, you've never been saved, you, you, you understand that you are a sinner in the sight of God and you understand that you're not Jesus, that Jesus is fully righteous and lived a sinless life and resisted all temptation and you can't say that. And you understand that the wages of sin is death. And you know there's something missing. Can I encourage you to take the back seat today and 
Let Jesus Christ save your soul. If you're here and you're saved and you can raise your hand and say, Preacher, I know I'm saved. I'm a born-again child of God. Would you do that for me this, this afternoon? I know I'm saved. Amen. Amen. A lot of hands. I'll just say this. If you couldn't raise your hand, you're not sure if you're saved, would you be honest enough? Would you, just for a moment, take the back seat, put God in the position of absolute truth and go, yep, I need to be saved. Anybody like that here today? I'm not sure if I'm a child of God. not sure if I've ever been born again. Is that you? things to do as a believer it sounds like I'm talking to Christians it's to not take all the matters into your own hands and force things and manipulate things and try to control things because of your anxiety you know Barnabas could have said they won't think I'm important I used to be important I'm not anymore no Barnabas you still have an amazing ministry you already gave us half the Bible through your ministering to Paul, half the New Testament. And by ministering to Mark, you give us this amazing gospel that gives us another perspective on the life of Jesus Christ as a servant. What an amazing thought. Mark presents him as a servant. I wonder where Mark got that flavor from. Maybe Barnabas? You know what our church needs? You know what Christianity needs? Some more Barnabases. Some more people feel the Spirit of God willing to say, I'll take the back seat. Young men that are called to preach, just know it's not always about getting behind the pulpit. Sometimes it's about being quiet and just listening. Sometimes it's about serving an old lady that just got admitted to the ER. You say, well, no one will notice that. That doesn't matter. It's what God wants you to do. Then do it. <laughs> Learn to take the back seat. stay standing for a moment. I'm going to invite those that are coming to join in membership to come forward and uh